Hi, everyone. I'm George Edelman, Editor-in-Chief at No Film School and host of this, the No Film School podcast. And my guest today is Tony Kushner, one of the most celebrated writers of his generation. And his recent collaboration with one of the most celebrated directors of this generation, Steven Spielberg, is the major topic of our discussion. The Fablemans, which is in limited release on November 11th and everywhere in release on November 23rd, is a movie about Steven Spielberg's life. It's his coming-of-age origin story as a filmmaker. So there's all kinds of reasons why it would be of interest, not just to the audiences across the world, but specifically to this, the No Film School audience, and to all of you. The reason that Tony and my conversation gets so interesting is because we really talk about the nature of their collaboration, his and Spielberg's. We're talking about two of the biggest names alive who work in this field, and how they come to each other with problems, disagreements, and work them out. I could have talked to Tony forever. I have a million more questions for him about his process and his writing and everything he does. But in the limited time we did have, I feel like we got some pretty interesting insights into how he works, how Spielberg works, and most of all, how they work together. So here we go. Tony Kushner on the No Film School podcast. It is uh, such an honor to talk to you. Oh, that's um, nice. Thanks. And we're so, we're so happy to have you as a guest. I want to start just asking you about this project in particular is unique, even in a career full of unique stories you've written. How do you collaborate with someone about something so personal to them? Like where do you begin in the process with Steven Spielberg making his life into a movie? <laughs> Well, I mean, we, we started this 20 years ago when we uh, on the first day of filming Munich, which was the first time I'd worked with Stephen. I'd only known him at that point for about three months. And uh, I we were waiting for them to set up a bomb that would blow up a hotel room or out on the street. And it was a night shoot. It was really late. And I said, well, when did you know that you wanted to be a filmmaker? And we started talking about his early life. And then he told me the story that's the central event in The Fablemans. And I said, someday you have to make that into a movie. And, wow. uh, and the story really stuck with me. I mean, it's, a, it's just a great story, both in terms of uh, what it means, in terms of the development of a, of a, of a kid who has a, a, a knack for filmmaking, but also the sort of tragic love story of uh, his parents, their divorce, the, the affair with uh, Arnold's best friend. I was really moved by that. And the more I got to know Stephen, the more I began. I mean, I'm an old Freudian. I've been in psychoanalysis <laughs> for a billion years. So I, the more I got to know him, the more I started thinking, oh, I see, you know, this is a consequence of, of this thing that he's told me, that thing that he's told me. And really fascinated uh, about the way in which the uh, uses to which he put filmmaking as a as a as a young kid led him into this very scary place. Sort of protected him, made the world seem uh, organizable and 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 controllable until it led him off the cliff. Uh, into you know uh, adult realities that that were far beyond his or even the adults' power to control, and that moved me very deeply because I think that that's the extraordinary thing about art, 
both for audiences and for artists. It's a dream, but it has real-life meaning and sometimes real-life consequences. It, it feels like a way that we can make the world safe, but it isn't actually safe. So you, in a way, you've been researching him ever since that date, <laughs> ever since that and night. Shoot. And that's a great scene in Munich, by the way. It's amazing. Yeah, um, it's... The writing and it, all of it comes together there so well. So it's funny to think of the two of you mirroring the waiting of that moment with your own uh, yeah. little thing there. But you've been working with him on all these different kinds of projects again. And you've kind of been watching him. And, and like you said, you've been picking up pieces that are kind of like, oh, I'm connecting dots about this guy. Yeah, he's and like, a really interesting man. <laughs> You know, he's a, it's, this is not a word I use lightly. I mean, Stephen is a genius, and, and he does things that constantly mystify him. I don't know where they came from. I don't know how he arrived uh, at them. There are frequently things that are not, I mean, he's very, very, very smart, but then there's this other thing that happens that comes from some other place, and you, or you're just left thinking, how on earth did he figure this out. As a creative genius yourself, I don't, <laughs> yeah, well, see, I don't think I it's am. hard for you to say about yourself, but from the outside, we can recognize it. But do you, do you see some of the, oh, that's that magic thing that happens sometimes where like something takes you out and like you kind of watch it or do you not relate to his, like, how do you, because you've worked in tandem too now for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I can, I, it's not that I don't relate to it. I think I'm really good at what I do. I mean, I'm I'm very happy with what I've done, and I think you know a couple of times I've 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 hit, you know, I've really hit the bullseye, and that's a thrilling thing. But I think one of the reasons that I've spent 20 years now working with him is that in movie after movie that we've worked on, there's just this moment, of, there's a kind of a flash of insight that he has, and it feels somewhat kind of superhuman to me, and I I don't. You know, I don't recognize those kind of leaps in myself, and I, you know, and and it's why he's become this uh, sort of era-defining uh, artist, and I'm, and it's thrilling to me. So I mean, I was studying that, and then also when we decided that, I mean, as we uh, were working on West Side Story, really was the moment uh, his mother had died about two years before, and his father, who was 102 at the time, was uh, going into a, a decline and clearly wasn't going to last much longer. And uh, Stephen was beginning to mourn Arnold's passing even before he had died. I mean, he knew that he was about to lose his father. Yeah. And in the middle of West Side Story, we were also, he and I were just battling every day on West Side Story about everything having to do with West Side Story. With and, one another? Or well, with yeah, the world? With one, with one another. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. There's I two mean, things now I just have to follow up on as we go. Like, one, if you could give me a couple examples of those moments of when he just strikes when you're working together and something happens and you're just yeah, like, well, where I mean, did that superpower come from? On West Side from? Story, uh, I, I love the original film, the 61 film, and I wanted to leave Arthur Lawrence's, uh, you know, how many bullets left in this gun, Chino speech intact as a kind of an homage to Lawrence because he pulled the whole thing together for everybody originally. And he was an amazing writer. And I love that speech. Who doesn't? Natalie Wood does a great job with it. So I, I said to Stephen at the beginning, I'm going to leave that as the intact. And he said, great. And then I always fall apart when I watch the 61 film and they pick up Tony's body and the arm falls and one of the sharks comes and puts it up and they carry him off together. 
And then the camera lifts up and it's the whole West Side and the theme for Somewhere comes in. And you just, if you're not a stone, you you're, lose I'm, it. Yeah, it's emotional. So hearing you describe. I got a little <laughs> lazy, I think. And and for all the politics and everything else that I had put, the Borakenya and everything uh, uh, that I put in the movie uh, when I was working on the screenplay and, and on the set, I had thought that the ending would not be a frame-for-frame frame remake, but I thought it would have sort of the same spirit. We got to the big set of The Destroyed Neighborhood at like midnight in Patterson, New Jersey, where we were filming the, that sequence. Suddenly Rita Moreno, who wasn't, who isn't in the script in my uh, draft, her character Valentina wasn't there. Rita's there on set and something is going on and I don't know what it was. And so, you know, the, the he, there's, uh, the, the body is brought into Doc's drugstore and then we watch Chino being put in the poli- uh, squad car with Rita next to him and everything. And I thought, I don't know what he's doing. And I ran up and I said, Stephen, what, what is that? What's going on? What's going He said, I, I'm, I'm busy. I, and I said, no, no, no. I mean, I don't understand. This is not, we didn't talk about this at all. We should really be. And so whenever I would get really angry with him, I would text him huge long text and he would write back. Like, While you know, on set, you're texting him? Oh, we, we <laughs> developed that early on. I think it was in Lincoln, primarily, that we started doing the texting. I, I try, I would never go on while he's actually shooting. Sure. Um, but I stay in Video Village for the most part. I'm there the whole time. I've been that, that's been true since Munich. Anyway, I, I, uh, I said, I don't understand this. And I got really upset. It was very late. And, and it, it was the end of the movie. And, and I didn't understand what he was doing. And he got annoyed with me, and we sort of it didn't. End, the night didn't end well for me. <laughs> and then the next afternoon, I came back to the set for the start of the day in the afternoon, and he said, "You know, come here. I want to show you something that I, I want to show you what I was doing." And he didn't explain it to me. He should have. He, but I think he probably couldn't in the moment because he was making it up. And Stephen, because filming things is like just such a second nature to him. I mean where the camera goes, how, you know, I think he makes things difficult for himself to keep himself excited by inventing really elaborate, complicated things on the spot. And what he showed me is that the shot that he was using for this whole thing was this, this, uh, um, on a, uh, Derek, the, the, this sort of, uh, panning of, of the scene of, of Chino being put in the squad car through the fire escape, which is, you know, the iconic symbol in West Side Story of the balcony scene. It's love and it's romance. And he turns it at the end and it looks like the bars of a prison. And you're watching a young uh, brown-skinned guy in handcuffs being put in a squad car. And I was shocked because, you know, I always think of myself as sort of the, the tough political whatever. And and I, I don't want Stephen to make, you know, uh, sentimental choices. And, and he made this incredibly hard-ass, tough decision, the movie ends unmistakably saying it didn't end here. The tragedy of this death didn't solve anything. The racism that this movie is, uh, this musical is about is an ongoing thing and it's, and you know, here's its latest victim. And I was so crazy by that. Crazy for you to be the one who is leaning sentimental and for him to be the one who is like, it's going to be hard hitting and political. Do you think you seeped into each other a little bit? Well, yeah, absolutely. And the movie seeped in. And and since Munich, I've seen also the people on the set, the actors on the set. I mean, he, Stephen is very open uh, to 
the experiences of other human beings. So when when we were doing Munich and these Palestinian actors were hanging out with him and talking about, you know, being Palestinian, I mean, he, it had an impact. And the same thing with West Side Story with the with all the Latinx guys playing uh, the sharks. I mean, you know, he's moved by this and he's, he's curious and he's open to it. But something inside of him, I mean, I, I know that at that night, he couldn't have said what he was doing and then there it is. You and think he thinks in camera speak, kind of, and so it has to speak for his words. And I th yes, and I think that there's, I think I've really come to understand that there's a, there's a, a place inside of him that uh, where the whole thing kind of lives. Even the parts of it that haven't been written yet or haven't, well, we're going to fight and I'm going to win and I win some of our fights. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I think that there's a, there's just a, there's a, there's a, if it's not, it's not like the whole movie exists inside of him, but it's like the, there's a, something inside of him that will say to him, uh, yes or no. And he can be persuaded sometimes and sometimes he just can't be. And I've learned that if I can't really convince him, because I can be very persuasive and unpleasant even. If, if I can't move him, it's because the, there's a core thing inside of him that is saying, no, this is not right for this film. And because he is who he is, I've learned to sort of say, okay, at that point, shut up and let him do his thing. And it's, it's that, that leap. Film is a such a collaborative process, of course. There's a lot of voices. He's like one of the directors, a lot of voice. He is the director's director. But you have the, the ability to stand up and say like, I think this is really important to fight your battles, to where does it come from like in your own certainty? How do you know, I guess, when you're working on something and you're like, I gotta fight this battle. Like this one I have to fight, this one I don't. As a collaborator, as a creative. Yeah, I mean, I've been frequently accused by everybody, including my husband, of not being able to differentiate between the little <laughs> battles and the big battles. And sometimes I think that's true. But on the other hand, what I, it's not so much that I believe that I'm right, but I, but I know that if I'm working with – I've never uh, worked with – I mean, he's the only – I mean, I worked with Mike Nichols on Angels in America. Yeah, um, <laughs> another hundred years ago, yeah. and then I and then I started working with Steven, and that's it. <laughs> but I've worked a lot in the theater with a lot of different directors, and one thing that I've learned is you don't have to have absolute certainty about yourself if you can have real certainty about the collaboration. And he's Stephen is a great collaborator, and I've I, I've said this to him many many times to remind him of it. If 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 I think this and he thinks that and we really go at it and we stick with the pro the sometimes painful and annoying and and scary process because everybody has some part of themselves that wants to win because of power you want to feel that you it's yours not the other person's you want to like uh, not feel vulnerable or, or less than you want you know you don't want to be ashamed that you were wrong all that mm -hmm, shit. Mm -hmm. And and it's impossible to completely police that out of yourselves. But if you're, if you mostly have that in control and can keep your uh, everybody involved, keep their focus on the thing that you're trying to solve, a synthesis. I mean, it's the dialectical it's an process. Yeah, <laughs> it's an antithesis and a thesis. And and the thing that's going to come out is not a compromise. It's not like I got some of what I wanted and you got some, which would be sort of dispiriting. It's a it's it's a synthesis something new is created. And over and over again, in our biggest battles, 
one of us will say something and the other will go, oh, oh, okay, I see. What if we do, hmm, and then we're off to the races into something really new, and that's exciting. And so it's you, like ego, trying to check some ego so you can actually do creative Hegelian dialectic, <laughs> like you just laid out, with each other in real time, yeah. and you create something new. And, and you know, it comes from, I mean, we love each other. <laughs> we know that we, we want only the best for each other. We know that we respect each other. He's treated me always with enormous respect. I know he really likes my writing. And when I write a scene for him and, uh, um, like the, uh, you know, the big Lincoln monologue, I mean, I, uh, he called me on the phone when he read it and said, I love this. And then he acted out the whole speech. <laughs> that must and, be really fun. And he has a great ear for language. So it's, it's it, you know, we there's a real trust there. And we both, so, you know, you always think, okay, I have this idea in mind of what this should be, and you have this idea in mind. When we were working on The Fablemans, I kept saying over and over again, this is going to be Munich. I want this movie to be as tough as Munich. It should be painful and hard. And Munich is the most, I, yeah, the, I, I was the bleakest movie he ever made. <laughs> I love Munich, but I don't see how the two of it keeps and, going. And you Tell wouldn't us. necessarily see it. And he kept saying, uh, yeah, okay, right, and looking at me like I was nuts. But then, and this is very Stephen, in the middle of filming last summer, he said, when was the last time you saw Munich? And I said, it's honestly, it, when it was released, I saw it a few times then in movie theater, one sense. And he said, yeah, I haven't seen it in a while either. He said, come to the house on the day off and let's watch it together. It was the last thing I wanted to do on the day I was going watch Munich. But I said, okay, let's do it. And we watched it. We both really, really thrilled by by the movie. Um, and I and I feel like in some way he it was and it was right when we were beginning to get into some of the more painful scenes in the Fablemans, and I think he kind of got the reason that I was saying that the, Munich is is incredibly free of I mean there's a seriousness of, about it and it, and a lack of sentimentality or any sort of reassurances. It's not yeah. sentimentality. It's, it's a little bit like just nobody wins, right? Yeah. There's a little bit of that. Although which is, I saw something when I watched it this time that I had not seen. This is, again, oh, an tell, example tell of Stephen. In every single minute of that, I mean, so many people die in that movie. There isn't a single death in the film. I mean, literally not one. Where, at, at like a second before, or sometimes a large amount of time before, the person dies, they're not humanized for the camera. Mm. Every single death... Before you mm. watch the death, you have to see some, them doing something, even something small, that makes them, that reminds you that this is a human being. And then what it does, and the reason the movie I think is so tough, it's like set up like this great political thriller, it's filmed like that, but it doesn't allow you, without ever sort of scolding you, it just simply doesn't allow you to enjoy death as a form of entertainment. The, when the woman assassin uh, is shot and and he had her come in and there's a house cat and he said just try and pick up the cat mm. and and she did that terrifying thing where she picks up the cat and then her arms won't work all of a sudden the cat just runs away yeah and that's what happens and you know you see that and and it's it's utterly heartbreaking and and it's i i mean i find that a profoundly moral choice and i don't think he had any idea that he was doing it at the time it came out of some you know because of his immense technical facility he can access these things and they can find their way yeah 
Well, you know, there's a thing I don't know. I uh, I'll go ahead and say it. Nobody's ever going to notice this, but in the scene in the Fablemans, when Bert, the father, comes to Sammy's bedroom and says, "I want you to put your World War II movie aside and edit the camping trip footage, which is going to be the thing that's going to blow the family up." He comes and he sits on the bed and he he sits on something uncomfortable and he reaches under his butt and he pulls out something and he looks at it and sort of goes like this and throws it aside. It's a German hand grenade. <laughs> and I don't think that's, I think when on the set, I said, do you real? did you do that deliberately? He said, what? I said, it's a hand grenade. And he said, yeah, it's part of what he's going to use for the movie. And I said, no, but this is the scene literally that's going to pull the pin that's going to blow up this family. And there's this little thing, and, and it doesn't even look like a normal hand grenade. The Germans had a different design, so most people won't even see it. But stuff like that, I just go that, like, oh, my God. <laughs> How does he do that? <laughs> Where did that, yeah. that come from? And it's, it's, it's really thrilling. Thank you for that anecdote and for this whole interview. I have so many things I love to ask. I really appreciate yeah, you sure. taking the time. It was a lot of fun. And yeah, congrats on the film, and congrats nice on everything. Oh, thanks nice so much. Thank you, Tony Kushner, for coming on the show. Thank you, everyone, for listening and watching. This No Film School podcast is on YouTube. It is also on any platform where you get your podcasts. Please be sure to head over to nofilmschool.com where you can read more about the Fablemans and filmmaking of all kinds, tech, news, education, etc. Subscribe to our newsletter. Leave comments and let us know what you think. Send us emails with questions at editor at nofilmschool.com. We love to hear from you and answer your questions on our weekly show, which usually releases on a Thursday or a Friday. I'll just say again that hearing someone of Tony Kushner's level talk about compromise and arguing with his collaborators with the understanding that their ego is checked at the door and they're trying to do what's best for the work, not what they think is best, like they always know, is uh, illuminating and I think satisfying because I've always believed that collaboration is at the core of good work. Uh, this filmmaking process doesn't work otherwise. If you want to have total control, you should write a book, uh, maybe create a painting. But filmmaking is all about how you work with different people and come together to create something great. So what you think may not always be what's best. And sometimes it's about figuring that out the hard way, the way Spielberg and Kushner have together. So thanks everyone for listening and uh, keep checking in with No Film School. Mm -hmm.